as far as Groundhog's Day, that's all me. I have loved Groundhog's Day since I'm a child. I was the child who would get up and have cereal and sit in front of the TV so that I could watch to see if we were going to have spring or winter. It was just something that was so important. Welcome to You May Contribute a Verse, a set of conversations with creators we value. I'm Brenna Jennerette, children's lit author, mother, rock climber, and outdoor enthusiast, and co-host of You May Contribute a Verse. My co-host, Josh Munkin, is a children's lit author, father, science communicator, and podcaster. Today's guest is Karen Nespoli, a former classroom teacher who fell in love with children's books. Her debut, Gertie Saves the Day, is a self-published labor of love, illustrated by Daniela Massaroni, and it recently won the Literary Titan Award and is an Amazon.com bestseller. Karen cleverly combined her favorite holiday, Groundhog's Day, with the evergreen themes of bullying and confidence to make Gertie a true feminist icon. For all the teachers out there, Gertie comes with plenty of bonus materials through Karen's website, and Gertie is free on Kindle Unlimited, so cost is not a limiting factor in getting Gertie's story out into the world. Here's Karen's verse. Totally. Well, Karen, thank you so, so much for coming on today. We're really excited to chat with you all about Gertie. I'm really excited to be here. This is my first podcast. Like I said, I set that information along because I said I want to be an excellent guest, especially since it's my first time. You are an excellent guest because nobody else has sent us a media kit. You are on top of it. Like you are the most professional by far. So yeah. I've done my homework. <laughs> yes. Yes. It And it shows. Um, well, first, I, I would love to hear all about the award that Gertie has just gotten because that is really exciting news. Oh, it, to me, it was like the best. Um, it was something that I always wanted to do is to submit your work. You want that you know, verification um, mm-hmm. that your work is good. You get these reviews and, and they're, they're nice and, and wonderful. I love reviews. But to have someone else look at your work and say it's good means a lot. So looking at all awards, uh, it was a process for me. I didn't just jump in. What I had to do was take a good look at what's out there um, and make sure that it was a right fit for me. Some of them are very, very expensive, and some of them are not so expensive. Um, Some of them are just the picture books, et cetera. But I really liked the literary titan. I felt that they did a nice job in presenting. So the first stage that I went through basically was getting them to review my book. And then it got a five-star review, which was excellent. That was like that real verification where they write, you know that they truly read your book because they really make those comments about the illustrations, about the words, and about the story. Mm. So that that alone was amazing. And then they put it into a, uh, I guess, a process of uh, who's going to get the award. And it just happened to win the gold award. And then they followed up with an author interview to get to know me better. So I felt that that whole process was really amazing. And so, you know, for your listeners, if they're going to do awards, I just would recommend that you do your homework and find that match. And and to be clear, yeah, I mean, some of these can be an investment. And uh, this, it's, it's interesting talking about this because this is part of my day job. I'm a communications person. And so we submit on behalf of our corporation. And there's a super close vetting process that you go through to make sure that it's a good fit and you're actually going to get something out of having the award. It's not necessarily like a pay to play, um, but it's something that you have to be sure is going to be a good opportunity for you. 
It's it's interesting to me too because you know the more the more interviews we do, the you know the longer I'm around in Kidlet, the the deeper you get into this stuff. You know, like at every level you get to, there are these new things that you learn. You know, like once you have an agent, you're like, oh great, like that's it. Like I've got an agent. I'm totally going to publish this book now, which is, you know, so not true. Now there's all this other stuff that is like coming to light that you're like, oh gosh, well, I didn't think about that. Or like, I didn't know this was going to take so long or whatever. So my point is with these um, awards or reviews, even I was unaware until relatively recently, you know, you have to, yeah, you have to pay for those. Like the Kirkus reviews that everybody, you know, is the, those are so sought after you, it, I mean, you can get, you know, you can get the good review or you could get a bad review. And regardless, you know, you have to pay for that. You don't just, Kirkus doesn't just go around like reviewing books and like giving out, you know, stars here and there. Um, so that I thought was really interesting. And I did not know that about the um, the awards. I didn't realize that that was a similar thing that you also have to pay and then, you know, submit your work. Um so did you, have you submitted to any other awards like that or any um, other? The only reviews? other one that I really liked was the Purple Dragonfly Award. Oh, that sounds fun. Um, yeah, I, I think the name alone just you know, excited me. Right. Um, and I think the end of that one will be, I'm going to say the end of this month, early next month, early May. So I won't hear, I don't think until June, but that was another one that I felt did a nice job. And some of them, I mean, I've seen $500, $1,500 to get an emblem that you will put. Others, they have that you vote on. So you have to get all of the people, all of your followers together oh to try to get in there and vote on so that you get that particular award. That's why anyone who wants to do this really has to do their homework and find out what it is that works for them. To me, that's the most important thing. Which of these did I decide to do? Um, met my needs. Get it in front of a fresh audience. Get that review. Um, and the awards are just the perk. Yeah. And, and I, I want to get into this more, this sense of organization and, and presentation and external face. But to me, I mean, again, hinging back on the, the day job thing, which is not related to books, what these awards give you is... I mean, you tell me to, to my perception is a sense of um, legitimacy or buy in or, um, you know, uh, an, another, you know, what's the euphemism? <laughs> another, I don't know what, uh, but uh, yeah, an accolade to highlight as you're shopping around for, you know, author visits and, and, and doing the sort of like like legwork that's required to promote. I think as an author, I wanted that credibility. I think that might be the word you were looking for. Yes, I was. Thank you. (laughs) Gives me that credibility. I am an author. Okay, good. (laughs) I think too, like, so recently Josh and I have talked with several, you know, self-published authors versus traditionally published authors. And I feel like as a self-published author, you know, there are there are a myriad of reasons why you go the self-publishing route, which, you know, I'd like to talk to you more about that as well. But I think I think too, self-publishing for, you know, whatever reason, wherever that started, it comes with a certain stigma. You know, people aren't always as willing to read it or review it or, you know, invest in it or whatever. So it seems like the accolades and the awards are that much more important for a self-published work because it, it does lend itself that credibility. That's exactly. I feel the same way. It's like you're not always accepted. In fact, some things just say traditionally published only. 
Right, right. Which is, you know, another sort of barrier in a world just full of all kinds of barriers. But um, so I guess, so I am, I'm interested to know, you know, what, what made you go the self-publishing route? Like, had you taken Gertie to do through the, the traditional route and then you sort of pulled her back or you were always going to self-publish her or what was the um, impetus for you to sort of journey. that route? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your journey. It's your journey. <laughs> Tell us your yes. whole story. <laughs> your Gertie journey. Well, I did try the, uh, you know, the traditional route with all of the rejections or shall I say the silence that you never hear from anybody. Oh, or The anything. silence is so rough. I'd rather have a rejection any day. The silence is just maddening. It's so hard. It's true. It's true. And it's like, do you wait two months? Do you wait three months? Are they still considering? Are they behind? Is the pandemic what's happening? Yeah. You feel lost. But basically, um, my daughters always knew that I wanted to self-publish. And my daughter sent me a link. Jack Canfield, who we know wrote the Success Principles, he was have, hosting a workshop online with another woman, Miriam Laundry, And she was going to show us how to self-publish. And I went to this, you know, webinar or whatever, and one thing led to another. And I said, why not? Why not give this a shot and see how far I can go? And I think in the beginning, I didn't quite trust, is this really going to work? But I think I got one of the best educations imaginable because I had to do it all basically myself. She was there to guide you through the process and to teach you but I got the best education of what it's like for doing, you know, the different types of edits and what it's like to actually select an illustrator and work with the illustrator. People don't always get that, you know, and then doing my marketing and things. So everything from me, I learned. So now when I go into traditional, hopefully one day, um, I have a good, I feel, understanding and education. That's an interesting way to put it. Like, you know, self-publishing a book is almost like a great um like master's course in just books in general, right? So if you were to, if you do that, you have now learned all of the steps and all of the pieces and then to go on to, to traditional publishing is almost easier. It's almost like a, you know, like a more reasonable step because you know what's coming and you understand that, you know, the other side of it as well being like the editorial staff and the marketing staff and the, you know, all of that. It was really, I felt a very positive experience because too, we met as groups. And so while we were all, we'd meet like once a month, we were able to also pull together and share. So we were able to launch our books together. Um, We would support each other on social media, et cetera. Uh, Miriam does an interview. Um, with you um, on Facebook. So it was a lot of different things that we got to do and you had that support team. You weren't truly by yourself. And I, I want to acknowledge that Gertie Saves the Day, which is the full title of your book. We got to make sure and say it. <laughs> Gertie Saves the Day is um, it, it, the the copyright page or the copyright plate lists Miriam Landry Publishing as the the publisher of the the book and that that's through this workshop i guess that you took it all the way through to completion and and finalization is that right exactly exactly she has a a team that she works with that helps to make sure that the book is correct and that it goes up on um you know amazon correctly um but the thing that was important to me and this is gertie is my baby my first book um i still retain all rights 
So if I want to put up any photos, if I want to use any phrases, anything, it's still all mine. And that was important to me. It's interesting. I'm, I'm thinking about this notion of <clears throat> the awards and the workshops and things. And a lot of my own preconceived notions about path to publishing are through the traditional route. And all the investments on my part come on the back end with the agreements and the partnership that you have with publishers, the fees that you pay to agents. And, and that is, that's a route that I think is going to work with the what works best for me because the self-publishing I've been self-employed before. It's not for me. <laughs> I need a team. Uh, and it, I guess the contrast that I'm drawing is this, this notion of, um, front end versus back end. Like either you're, you make a deal and you're paying people on the back end and, and co-opting your artistic work, or you invest in yourself on the front end and, uh, pay to be part of the awards process, pay to, you know, get the education and do it all, all yourself and retain control. Is that, that was a, con that was a conscious decision, I guess, on your part. Cause I, yes. you, you had mentioned, yeah, you had mentioned that your you said your daughters have always known that you wanted to be self-published. I'm curious about that that story or about the sort of like, and Brennan and I talk about this all the time. Uh, our kids know that we are writers and want to be authors. And my kids and Brenna's, uh, Brenna's son have, have all said, oh, we want to be authors too, because that's just what we emulate our parents. I've, but what's the, what's the family history there? Oh, basically we're all a bunch of storytellers. I would have to hear you know, from my grandmother. <laughs> I can remember sitting at her knee hearing stories. My mother was excellent with voices. Um, but it's always been, I love children's books. It's just something I think when I went to school, because I'm a former classroom teacher, um, you have to study children's literature. And that was it for me. I was like, this is wonderful. I also participated in a program at the college where I taught. And we worked with children from a neighboring district who were um, falling behind basically in their reading. And we would um, pull them together on a Saturday for a program and they would write and illustrate a book that they presented to their parents at the end of the class. So these are children who just really needed confidence and the one-to-one -one tutoring that we could provide for them gave them their confidence. So at the end, um, when they read these books, their parents were like in tears because they, first of all, they were getting up in front of, you know, the ch other children and parents and reading their books. They were just amazed at what they could do. We also had a, an author that used to come in and encourage them uh, to be writers and teach them about his process. And he was traditionally published. So I think all of those things played a role. If these kids can write this, why can't I get this done? And like I said, the timing of the self-publishing just seemed to work out for me. And um, it's been a great ride so far. In fact, I'm going to be working with Miriam again. Uh, we're starting up another session. And I'm going to publish a book with the daughter who referred me to the um, workshop. She's, uh, it's a book about acupuncture, which is a very difficult topic. But um, we're going to try to weave it into a story because... She is an acupuncturist, and she feels that there are no children's books. They're about animals, or they're too serious. So we're trying to weave it in a little bit, and uh, hopefully we'll see where that one goes. That's an interesting topic. So are you guys co-authoring the book, or is it yes. author-illustrator? Yeah. Okay. So have you? are you guys... Um, 
have you sort of figured out, I guess, like the hook or the the in? Because I for for me, I mean, for most writers, right? That's that's the tricky part. So for acupuncture, I'm thinking, oh, how would I how would I get in there? You know, to to have it appeal to kids. Have you guys ha- do you have like a rough draft and something that you're working on? Yes. Yeah. We've submitted a rough draft for editing, and basically we're taking the story of a young man who has a reoccurring illness uh, that can be treated with acupuncture um, and how it holds him back and how, of course, in this day and age, everyone is afraid of needles and shots mm-hmm. and whatever. So basically he's kind of facing his fear of getting a shot. And these needles are very different, and that's what we try to point out in the book. And we're going to hopefully try to put some materials in the back to kind of help parents. But just from a wellness point of view, parents don't know that um, as far as colds and things like that, just going for regular acupuncture can really build a child's immune system. Yeah. And and um, going to the chiropractor as well, like my son had a cold two years ago, roughly two years ago, but it was like it was like the February before the pandemic like broke out. So I don't know if it was maybe a COVID thing that, you know, just wasn't identified or whatever, but he, it was like 10 days. He was noticeably, like he had noticeably lost weight, which is ridiculous because when he's sick, he like latches on to me. Right. So it was like, we were like one being for a week and a half. So for me to notice that he had lost weight was, you know, that's crazy because, you you know, he's there with me like the whole time. Plus, he's he's a tiny little guy like for, you know, he lost a significant amount of weight to the point that I noticed. So anyways, I had taken him in for, you know, multiple appointments. Was it an ear infection? What's going on? Whatever. And they you know, couldn't figure out anything. And they just wanted to give me antibiotics. And I was like, no, thank you. I don't, I don't want those. Like, I don't think that's going to help. So anyways, I ended up taking him to the chiropractor and they did like five visits or something. And after the second one, I think his ear just like exploded with like all of this like gunk coming out. I was like, what is happening? Like, is his brain leaking? But he like, you know, it got like all cleared out and he was like back to normal in like five days. They just, you know, it was like, a realignment so that his body could like do what it needed to do. Like the immune system was like essentially stuck and couldn't, you know, clear any of that stuff out. Anyways, I, yeah, I'm, I am very much for, you know, anything in that realm that will work. So that's, that's a really interesting um, kid's book to tell or a kid's story to tell. And I I just wanted to ask a, a sub question on that. Cause you said that you have a rough draft and you're going to send it off for editing. So is that part of the course that you signed up for? Like you have um, an editing team that will go through and edit or have you guys done the draft and you're send, you send it around for critiques and now it's just being polished and then you send it to editors or how is that? How does this that work? It's part of Miriam's team Okay, that she has the editing there for you and you get three or four edits. Um, but we've also sent it to other acupuncturists Oh. Uh, for their view on that. And mm. we've all kind of tested it with a couple of kids uh, to see, you know, what their thoughts were. And then we said, well, this will be like the first edit that we do, you know, the developmental edit, does it flow, et cetera. Yeah. I, 
I have a mental image right now of you going through the same process for Gertie and sending it around to groundhogs for their review. <laughs> you have to get the expert's opinion. Yeah. What do groundhogs think about it? <laughs> that would be a great, that would be awesome if you could add that to like your cover, like, like a groundhog review and it could come with its own little emblem, you know, like groundhog four claws up. <laughs> That'd be cute. <laughs> We're giving I you some it. free 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 marketing ideas. Here. <laughs> yeah. Cheesy <laughs> marketing. Well, I, I what's interesting to me, and I did not expect to talk about chiropractors and acupuncture today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But what, what's interesting to me is this notion of writing niche books. Um conventional wisdom says write things that are broadly applicable. Um, it's interesting to me that both Gertie and this concept for an acupuncture book are pretty niche titles. Hmm. Um, they, they are associated for Gertie, at least with one, um, specific holiday in the year. And so there's specific applicability and presumably, you know, if you're doing your, your homework and booking it well ahead of time, you're very, very busy in January and early February. Uh, and then probably the the author visits drop off. But what I think is interesting is this notion of being a little bit subversive with it and saying, you know, for Gertie Saves the Day, for example, um, there's a lot more than just here's Groundhog Day. There's bullying and there's feminism and standing up for yourself and trying your hardest and a, a lot more of the universal stuff framed up in the in a framework of this specific holiday and celebration. And same thing, presumably for the acupuncture story. Uh, there's a lot of needle stuff in there. Uh, and there's a stuff about chronic illness um, framed up in something that is a, a little bit more niche. So I presume that that's, that's intentional on your part to make these broader sorts of themes. Yeah, I try to, to include, you know, what I can. Um, again, as an educator, you want to make sure that you're educating the child too. You want your characters, obviously, to be likable. You want the kids to be able to relate to the story. So that's where we thought the needle thing would really help, especially with everybody talking about, should we get the next vaccine? Should the kids get, you know, we thought it might be, we could get it out, hopefully by the end of the year. Um, you know, that's the kind of target we have. So we're hoping to get it, you know, out there and get people talking about it. I also think that we have an audience that's going to be hungry for it as far as wellness and things like that. And then you have your acupuncture societies who say there's really nothing out there. So perhaps they can give us a little boost too. Um, I wanted to ask too about, since we're talking about how it's a little bit um, like Gertie is part of a niche uh, market or um, topic. Um, I really loved the hook that you used in there for, for, you know, to relate to kids that she was too short. And so the shadow therefore was too short. I mean, that's so relatable. I feel like so many kids are probably like, yeah, Hey, like I'm too short. Like, how am I gonna, you know, how would I do this job? So I I'm just interested, like where that idea came from or why, why it was Gertie in the first place and Groundhog's Day, you know, why was that your, your, the story you wanted to, you needed to tell? (laughs) First of all, me, (laughs) I stand five foot tall. (laughs) <laughs> and so I have been, <laughs> I have been the shortest in the class. Um, so I kind of identify with that and was teased uh, about that. So yeah. I learned to handle it, but I know there are other kids out there that might not be able to handle it. So I wanted to show them too how she handled it, you know, um, as, as a character. 
As far as Groundhog's Day, that's all me. I have loved Groundhog's Day since I was a child. Oh, I, I was love the that. child who would get up and have <laughs> cereal and sit in front of the TV so that I could watch to see if we were going to have spring or winter. I it love was that just so something much. that was so important. I don't know any other kid who loves Groundhog's Day like that. I, I mean, that's awesome. You know, everybody loves Christmas or Halloween. I mean, Thanksgiving is, you know, kind of up there. I feel like Groundhog's, you know, like nobody nobody gives it the credit it deserves. I mean, it's a, it's a only, great holiday. Only Bill Murray, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Only And over and over and over again. He just yeah. does it so, so well. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just one of those things with me growing up that I had always loved. And when it came, obviously, to my teaching, we have Groundhog's Day, and I read some of the books to my class. So eventually I start to think about, and I guess it's that sense of wonder that you have, what would it be like? Because in my day and age, we did not have female groundhogs. They were all males who were predicting. Mm-hmm. I said, mm-hmm. what would it be like if it was a female? And then my wondering went on further and said, what's the process? How do we just pick out of a hat? So that's where I went. my teaching obviously came into the competition. Um, and you know, all the fun that we have with that. So yeah, that's all me. That's all part of my life. I joked as Brennan and I were doing prep for the conversation, I joked with her that Gertie is this feminist icon, but really that's, that's the reality of it, right? Is that's very intentional. Yeah. I also, I was going to say, I also really appreciate that not only is Gertie a girl, but she is a short girl and that is a problem because generally speaking, um, you know, it's more acceptable for women to be short and not as acceptable for boys and especially, you know, young boys, young men. Um, but for, you know, I'm, girls also feel that sort of stigma about being short or not being, you know, big enough. So it's, I, I like that it's paired with not only like an unpredictable main character, but also like sort of a, a twist in the hook of the book to, you know, in general. I think that was really smart. It all kind of, like I said, kind of fell together. I mean, I can't tell you how many revisions and how important revision is, right? Um, You add this, you take out that. Um, We went through, I'm going to say, 18 to 20 revisions um, and maybe over three or four years to get there. See, I can sympathize with that. Josh knows nothing about that many revisions. He has no idea. (laughs) If I don't get it right the first time, I just abandon the idea. Yeah, he's like, we're done here. What? What? And Brenner will share with me uh, a Google Doc that's labeled like version 34. Yes. Yes. Just the other day, I think. I was like, can you look at this? Praise (laughs) praise for your work ethic, Karen. (laughs) It's true because to me, I think I I find the hardest part is letting go of it. Mm. Because I said, oh, I can add this or I can. And then it gets to be too much. It's like, okay, you really have to stop now and let this go. Totally. Because you can always revise. Always. I mean, even when it's in print, you're going to look at it in 10 years and be like, oh, man, I I know I have another idea. I could totally have told this in a different voice. Pull it. Pull it from the shelves. I'm going to do it over. <laughs> well, if it's so- on shelves in 10 years, if you're so lucky, <laughs> that that's the case. <laughs> um, so where where will you go from here, Karen? Are you planning to do you do have another book in the works for self-publishing? And I know you're also in 12 by 12. So. Are you planning to also go the traditional route and query other stuff traditionally? Or are you, do you feel like you want to stay the self-publishing route? I think I'm going to try to do both. I would really like to have the experience at least once of doing traditional. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Tara Lazar put something out there today on, on Twitter <laughs> about, you know, hang in there. It's not easy. Keep writing. It's not going well, you know. The delays are there, but so she's been kind of a, a cheerleader. You know, that I'd like, you know, to keep thinking about moving ahead in the traditional and getting those query letters down. That's why I think 12 by 12 is really good um, so that I can they can really guide me and help me. I found the critiques to be really helpful in some of the things that I'm submitting. Mm-hmm. So I find that really a great community. Yeah. And so just to just to um, backpedal to Tara Lazar real quick. So one of our critique partners just won like a two hour Zoom session with her, you know, ask her anything, whatever, just chat. And she was kind and generous enough to type up like all of the stuff that she could remember from her conversation. And she shared it with our group. And one of the things that stuck out to me about what Tara had said was um, she, I mean, everybody knows who Tara Lazar is. Like that is a, that is a well-known name in the children's book community. But she said if she were to break up, you know, how much money she made in a year, you know, just like a snapshot you know, she makes under minimum wage. There's no way she could support herself. Like her, you know, it it takes a still a two income household in order to make that happen, which I just thought that was very interesting. And it sort of, it, it just sort of plays on the fact that so many people across the board, you know, are underpaid, overworked. And it, you know, the tr- the publishing industry is no different. And we've seen that trickle down effect. You know, editors are being asked to do three and four jobs outside of, you know, what their actual job is. That, you know, they burn out, they go away. It trickles down to the agents. Agents are, you know, overworked and underpaid and they're working full-time jobs and then trying to fit in agenting on the weekends and, you know, in the evenings. And then that trickles down to authors and nobody gets anything read and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. So, yeah, I guess I guess my point is, you know, it's hard for everybody at every level. And if you, you know, continue on like it, you know, it will eventually happen if that, you know, if you want it to happen. It just, yeah, I thought I thought that was really eye opening. It was an interesting takeaway. I think the publishers are still trying to find their way too after this pandemic. Totally. With all the delays and everything and the chain, mm. <laughs> they're just trying to figure out what to do. And I think that, you know, self-publishing is also yeah, kind of threatening them a little bit. Um, you know, they want to be able to, I, I understand things are shrinking in the, in the publishing field too. Uh, one company obviously is acquiring others and things like that. So I try to stay abreast of what's going on. Um, but, you know, they do see, I think, self-publishing as a little bit of a threat. But again, it's all on you and you have to do everything. And if that's not for you and you're not self-motivated, then I don't think that's going to work. Yeah, I, I can see how, uh, th- there is a threat to that, given that you are you are lean and mean, and you can get stuff done much faster. I mean, you, the collective you, the collective self published you. What's interesting about that to me, or one of the many things that's interesting about that is, you know, I I go on to Amazon to read Gertie Saves Day, and it's on Kindle Unlimited, and it's v- available for me to get very quickly. Um, and for a lot of people that are part of that Amazon Kindle Unlimited thing, they get to read it for free. Um, that that I also presume is part of the advice or the consultation that Miriam's workshop provides is how to become part of that program. And, and that becomes part of your own business model about how to get the book out there and make money off of it, I guess. Yeah, all of those types of choices when it comes to Amazon are my choices. 
Um, Interesting. As far as income, I know being an author, I'm not going to make millions. Mm -hmm. But it is more important for me to be able to get that book out there and get it into children's hands. Children are my why. I've worked with children my whole life. I want them to have this book. I know many teachers can't afford to buy the book. So by putting it on Amazon for free through the, the Kindle Unlimited program, I know teachers can then go on the right path and share it with children. And to me, that's, you know, obviously the most important thing. I want my story out there. I want other children to enjoy it, to appreciate it. Talk about some of those topics. Um, you know, talk about the teamwork that's involved or talk about height or talk about competition, disappointment. There's a lot of things in there that children can really talk about with teachers or parents. And, um, you know, so those choices as far as Amazon or putting it on Amazon Canada because she is a Canadian company or putting it in the UK, all of those are totally my choices. Um, you're allowed to go through when they're putting it up there. They ask you what you would like to do. And they talk about the pros and cons of each. But that was personal choice. I just want to point out the parallel really quick between authors and teachers. I feel like both of those communities do what they do because they love it and because they don't, you know, they understand that they are not going to be millionaires, but they want to do it because they love it. In particular, children's book authors and, you know, elementary school teachers or teachers for younger, a younger subset, you know, you do it for, I mean, we're all trying to do that for the kids. Like we want to make them laugh. We want to, you know, write about important topics. We want to get the information out there. I mean, Josh and I both, we don't have published books. We've both been working on this for, you know, a year plus we're not getting any money, you know, but like I spend a lot of my time. This is basically like, you know, part-time, semi-full-time work for me, and I'm not getting any money for it. But I do it because, I, you know, I really, really enjoy it, which, you know, and I think I think it's important. And I think teachers also, you know, they do it because they enjoy it and because they think it's important work and they want to be there for the children. So I feel like it's a, you know, it's a valiant thing that people are doing. And I think it is also why the publishing industry, you know, carries on the way that it is because people are willing to do it and to show up regardless. So for better or for worse, that's how it, that's how we're all doing it. <laughs> I think authors also need to enjoy the process. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. if you're just going to write the book uh, and not enjoy the process, I think you've missed half of it. Well, and that, I mean, it's also so not sustainable. If you're not having a good time, like good luck. It's not going to be, I don't think you're going to be in it for the long haul, you know, if you're not, because why, why would you, you've got no paycheck, you've got no, there is no like readily redeemable or redeemable uh, reward, you know? So if you don't like it, then, you know, by all means, you, I think get off, get off that train. <laughs> it's the reality. It's like, this is something that you're passionate about that you really want to do um, and you enjoy it, you know, eventually, hopefully there'll be some money and some income, but. And again, you just know that you're not going to make millions, so you know. Yeah. That's unicorn stuff. Yeah, unicorn stuff. Nice. Okay, so so we uh, uh, we acknowledge this, and we're we're talking about the the sort of like intersection between author and educator. We acknowledge this at the top of the conversation. I can't remember if we'd started recording yet at this point or not, but you sent us a media kit. Um, to help prep. And I want to link that to some of the stuff that you say on your website about 
author, um, like the, the speaking opportunities and author visits and, and all that sort of thing. Um, did you, did you go into this effort to put this book out into the world or put, put books in general out into the world with the understanding that, that these ancillary materials were going to be part of it from, from, I guess, from the perspective, I'll fill, fill out the rest of that question from the perspective of the fullness of education, you being an educator yourself, you know, that there are always supplementary supplementary materials that you have to provide. Um, is that something that, that you did on your own or as part of the, the workshop publication process? Yeah. Well, as an educator, I'm a person who has to investigate so if you give me a class and you tell me this is what we learned in the class, I'm the person that has to go that extra mile and say, okay, but what else? What did I miss? What else is there? So yes and no um, with the materials that I have from Gertie, the reader's guide um, that's available with the book. That was something that we did talk about in the class and that some people were doing it. Um, the website, I was on the fence about whether to have a website or not. They said it would be a good idea. So I said, all right, so I will invest in this. Um, and then, yes, you're going to learn a whole lot more when you start with a website. Um, you have to really figure everything out. I had a wonderful team. Uh, they were from Australia. And they were helping me and guiding me and very creative. So this was something different for them. They've never done a creative. They've done a business. Uh, so for me, I was helping them. They were helping me uh, put all of that stuff together. Um, and as far as, you know, you've learned from others, as far as your group is concerned or your critique group, I also belong to a writing group. Um, it's called Teach Write, um, EDU. And we meet every, well, we can meet as many times as we want, but we, I usually meet them on Mondays. And again, we share, we critique, uh, we support each other. Um, so while I was going through this whole process of extra materials, I was getting information and feedback from them as well. Who? I, I'm curious about that because that seems like the the exact thing that we're talking about here. Teach right is uh, is what <laughs> is what we're doing. This inter intersection of educator and author are they people with similar profiles as you? Similar histories and sensitivities and all that. Well, basically, she started that group as a writing group for teachers. Um, that teachers should be good writers in order to teach writing. And as a teacher myself, I always felt that was part of the picture that when I went to school, we talked a lot about reading and about phonics and about comprehension, but we really didn't tie in the writing part. So many of them are classroom teachers teaching writing um, in, I'd have to say, grades 5 through 12. Um, some of them are published authors. Uh, some of them are not. It's, um, I'm just a nice little group. Some of us are retired. Uh, so, you know, we're coming from all different backgrounds and, and sharing all different kinds of things. Well, Karen, is there anything that we have missed that you want to tell us about Gertie or your publication journey? I, I would just like to say when I uh, reviewed some of your um, other guests that have been on, um, how um, I identified with Katie Howe, how she said she likes to have things that um, challenge her. And that's when, um, I think it's Kaylee Pugh. Uh, she had that kid lit thing and I do that. So this is who I am. I try to find little things that will challenge me. 
mm-hmm. and things that will make it different. Right now, I'm also freelancing for um, Little Hippo Books. Oh, and cool. Little Hippo Books do very little, very young children, um, like a lot of touchy-feely kind of books. Um, and they are a local publisher, um, found through LinkedIn and through a friend, you know, recommendation. And so I'm writing some books that are five through eight. This is a whole other experience for me. Again, it's that I have to have a challenge. Mm -hmm. So this experience is different because I get guidelines from them and I get an outline for them and they pay me only for the story, but I'm doing what I want to do. I'm able to write stories. Um, And then it goes off to the illustrator and I don't see it. I don't get any royalties. Um, And again, with all of the delays, we were supposed to have a few books that were coming out. I think they want to uh, make a series out of it of four books. Um, So the problem is with that is obviously the delays. Mm. So they're hoping for maybe in the fall, but they're on social emotional topics, you know, bullying and kindness and um, those types of things. So I've been enjoying that and I'm able to challenge myself in other ways. Yeah. And, and that's a really, that's an interesting aspect that we don't really talk about enough. I know we've had, um, or before, uh, Brennan and I started doing this together, I've talked to other authors who have written for hire or written as part of writing staff for another company. And that is an equally viable pursuit. Uh, you're still getting your work out there and you're still getting your creativity into the world. Um, we focus so hard on that traditional publishing route mm. though, cause it's so tough to break into, but yeah, kudos. I mean, that's very satisfying to not only be able to champion your own work, but to be able to work as part of this broader team. In a sense, you are part of that traditional machinery. And it's a way to get your foot in the door, too, because you can add that then, you know, to a query letter and so the agents can check that out or publishers or whatever. So it's all just more and it's more practice too, more practice working within the system or for what people want and working with an editor and working on timelines and deadlines. That's all. I mean, that's all part of it, right? So that's all great stuff. And you're actually getting paid for it, which is like, that's the real trick, right? Like, how do I get money for this? How do I actually get, I mean, I love to write, but it'd be cool to have a paycheck. I'm not going to lie. So <laughs> it'd also be that really cool. Writing. Yeah. Right. And it also would be really cool to see my name on a book that's published. So like, those are the two things. Like, I don't care how much the check is for. I would just, it, a little bit would be cool. And, and my name on the, in lights. <laughs> it's, and that's it kind of writing you know when you're writing for someone and again it goes through the whole editing process and then they come back to me and say here are the edits that we'd like so mm-hmm. again like you say it's experience and you're learning and i'm doing what i want to do i yeah. want to write totally well karen where can our listeners find you where do you want them to go or be directed to your website or wherever just yeah, yeah i think my know. website karennespoli.com i think that would be a good place to start okay. yeah um, there's contact information on there as well we'll um make sure to link that in the show notes so that everybody can find you and um everybody go in and read gertie get it out there <laughs> thank you so much for coming on today karen we really ha- enjoyed having you on yes thank you brenna thank you Josh, I really appreciate this. It's a great experience, especially for my first time. Like you said, it's very conversational. And I think that's what I enjoyed the most. But I looked at, you know, like I said, I've, I've gone through some of your, your prior uh, clients there, your guests or whatever, and it's a great show. It really is. Oh, thank you so much. You may contribute a verse. Thanks for listening this week. Find out more about us and our guests and the artists behind their cover and theme music at our websites, verse.show, brennagenerette.com, and joshmoncords.com. See you next verse. 
拜。